make that money. DraftKings session number five, UFC, Dos Angeles versus Edwards. Spectate while your pockets accumulate. Make that money. DraftKings session number five. Back in your life. Here to get it right. And what are we getting right? We're getting your money right. And if you're on the podcast, hit up the YouTube link because I've decided to add a little wrinkle to the fifth edition. I'm putting my face in front of the camera. No more speaking behind a presentation. I'm your host in the flesh, in the bone. He ready to give you the stone Uber Mike. And I'm here to get it right. Get your money right, that is. We're going to break down UFC San Antonio. We have 13 fights to get through. We have 26 fighters to hit up. I look at the tape. I exploit the weaknesses. I tell you who to pick. I tell you who not to pick. And you make the choice. You make the money. And while you spectate this Saturday, your pockets will accumulate. So, without further ado, let's get into some quick little business. Look below in the description. You'll see my referral link below there. Click on it. Sign up for DraftKings if you never played before and you get 10 DK dollars. Put that towards any contest, preferably MMA, because, you know, I'm, I'm here to help you out in that regard. But that's up to you. Anyway, long story short, sign up on the referral link. Do what you got to do. Get some money. Put in a DraftKings lineup. Make that money. It's that simple. So with no further ado, let's go ahead and let's get into the main event. Leon Edwards with the draft king price of 8300 versus Rafael Dos Anjos RDA at $7,900. Breaking down Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards, this guy, he's a counter striker, man. He likes to lean back. He likes to wait for you. If you come in stupid, he'll pop you with a one-two. And his power shot mostly is his elbow. From distance, he likes to pot shot you, put the punches on you. You know, this real cerebral cat. He, whenever he has you hurt, he will go in for the kill. But for the most part, he's just trying to get a victory, secure the bag, go home, decision or no decision. He just wants the dub. And it makes sense, too. The man's on a seven-fight win streak right now. I mean, he's he's killing it. I get it. He got two-piece in the soda by Jorge Gamebred Masvidal, but who wouldn't with the amount of mess he was talking to homeboy? But that's besides the point, man. Like, he's out here. He's ready to take another fight against a really tough, grimy veteran RDA. And if you look at RDA, RDA's a, he's an OG, man. Former lightweight champion. Came into 170 after losing his belt to... I believe it was Eddie Alvarez. Yeah, he lost his belt to Eddie Alvarez. And after losing to Eddie Alvarez, took a bout against El Kakui, lost that bout, came into 170, and he's been looking great. Can put the punches together, has that sick calf kick that he cracks cats with, messes up their rhythm, and he can mix in takedowns. Not only mix in takedowns, but his boxing's pretty respectable. He boxed up... Uh, Kevin Lee, he boxed up Robbie Lawler. That was the big surprise. A lot of cats thought Robbie Lawler was going to come out here and run through RDA. This former lightweight, too small, Robbie too violent. But RDA said, nah, not today, sir. Came out there, handled him. And RDA, he's he's a, he's good, man. People, you got to put some respect on his name. I know he 
lost to Kamaru Usman, the champion. I know he lost to Kobe Chaos Covington, the interim champion, but that's a good resume to lose to if you're in the 170-pound division. And Leon Edwards is this up-and-coming guy, but RDA is Leon Edwards' toughest fight on paper. So going into the fight prediction, I see RDA taking this fight. RDA, he's been in numerous five-round bouts, not only whenever he was a lightweight champion when he fought Anthony Pettis. Oh, he was a contender. I'm sorry. He, He was a contender when he fought Anthony Pettis. Went all five rounds. Pillar the post, beat him up. Went five rounds with Lawler. Went five rounds with Usman. He took an ass beat in that fight, but went all five rounds. Didn't get finished. And he went five rounds with Kevin Lee. Well, not necessarily. He went four rounds with him, but he drowned Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee was the favorite in that fight. Kevin Lee was supposed to come in and work RDA. But RDA said, no, sir, not today. Not happening. And in regards to DraftKings, you have 8,300s with Leon Edwards and 7,900 with RDA. Either one is a good play, good rosterable play. Those prices are not too staggering they're not too suffocating like the nine thousand dollar prices that you'll see with some of these fighters later on in this card and at the same time you have five rounds to go both of these guys are super duper durable i'll be super surprised if someone gets finished in this fight i actually see this fight going all five rounds rda by decision but if you see leon edwards winning this fight you're not wrong for putting him in your lineup the thing with leon edwards though is when leon edwards is winning the fight well in his mind if he's winning the fight especially if he's up like three rounds to to one or, or four rounds to zero or whatever the case may be this guy's straight up coast he doesn't go for the kill unless the carcass is right there in front of him and so he can win this bout he gets he can go all five rounds but he went five rounds before against donald cerrone and he put up about 80 points, 80 points in a five-round main event against Cerrone. And it makes you wonder, if I put him in my lineup and I think he's going to win, will I be satisfied with the 80 points, let alone will I be satisfied watching the fight and seeing him coast versus with RDA at 7,900, a bit cheaper, more closely to the, I wouldn't say he's like a cheap $7,000 play. He's obviously not. He's more closer to 8,000. But with RDA, man, he just comes forward. He has takedowns. He has calf kicks. He has punches that he can put together. This boxing's respectable, man. And on top of that, too, the thing with RDA is his big weakness is those big, strong wrestlers who can take him down, control him, work him, just give him a hard-ass time. But Leon Edwards, he just chills back, man. So RDA, is he can implement his game plan. He can pressure Leon Edwards, and he can still rounds that way. But you're not wrong either way rostering either Leon Edwards or RDA. But I got RDA winning this fight by decision. Next bout, we have the co-main event. We have Walt Big Ticket Harris at the DraftKings price of $8,700 versus Alexio Olenek at the DraftKings price of $7,500. With Walt Harris, Walt Harris is, he's kind of like a middle-of-the-road heavyweight. So... Recently, he's been on about a two-fight, three-fight win streak. Dusted the guy he fought before. And you could say the guy uh, that he fought is similar to a Lennox. Not necessarily skill-wise, but nationality-wise. A big, strong Russian guy who's going to come in there and put it on you. But Walt Harris just went out there and dusted him. And when you watch the tape on this guy, man, this guy moves like a lightweight. I'm sorry. 
pump the brakes on that. He moves like a light heavyweight in regards to his hand speed, his in and out movement, the way he puts his punches together and such. And the only issue I see with Walt Harris is if Olenek or any respective opponent just wants to chill back and have a sparring match with Walt Harris, he'll be happy to oblige, man. He'll take the fight anywhere he is comfortable taking it, you know, in order to get a dub. He kind of has that Leon Edwards syndrome a little bit, except with him, if you're not engaging, he don't he he won't engage either. He'll probably pop a kick, hit you with a jab, steal the round. But if you're showing absolute weakness and you just don't want to be in there or you're just throwing wild, he'll be happy to throw hands with you. And this guy got power, man. He can crack people. He can take them out. And his hand speed's super, super, super respectable, man. And with Alexio Olenek, Alexio Olenek, look at that record, man. 57 wins, 12 losses, one draw. Majority of his wins, I believe 26 or 28 of those wins have came by submission and this guy is an OG in the game, man. He's been around for a long, long, long-ass time. And the thing with Olenek is he'll come forward, but when he comes forward, it's very plotty. It's very herky-jerky. He swings punches, which it's great because his punches have power, but they are the ugliest punches that you've ever seen in your life. They're coming from this angle, that angle, this angle, that angle, whatever it may be, and it's a mess, and it, that chaos can be good depending on the opponent because Olenek did knock down Mark Hunt. He did hurt Mark Hunt, but a lot of times Olenek can get countered off that if you watched his fight against Alistair Overeem. Alistair Overeem took advantage of that sloppy striking, but Olenek, Olenek's bread is buttered whenever he gets you to the ground. He wants to get you to the ground. He wants to submit you. He wants to put his ground game on you, and with Walt Harris... He did lose by submission against Fabrizio Redoum. And in that fight, something I saw didn't really look right. Fabrizio Redoum takes Walt Harris down. And it wasn't even a good single leg that he got. But Walt Harris just drops like a ton of bricks on the ground. Didn't even try to fight the single leg whatsoever. And you would think the more athletic Walt Harris would get out of that. But I digress. From there, Walt Harris... Is fighting Fabrizio Redoum, trying to take get back up, trying to get on top of him. And Fabrizio Redoum transitions from a rear naked choke to an arm bar. And the arm bar wasn't even locked in all the way. And he pulled a he pulled a, a McTapper, man. He just went real quick. Like he didn't have health insurance or something. He was like, oh man, if this arm breaks, then I, I you know, I'm, I'm so out of luck. And that worries me because if Olenek is able to take this fight to the ground and he's able to put Walt Harris in a precarious situation in regards to a submission, Walt Harris can just do a quick Conor McGregor-like tap. And that's, come on, man, 8,700, and you're going to be pulling that kind of stunt? It's crazy. But then again, with the Lennox coming forward and throwing wild and throwing big shots, just trying to do what he needs to do in his real plotty, predictable movement and such, I could see Walt Harris just sitting back, especially with the reach advantage of, I mean, it's a one-inch reach advantage, but he actually throws long extended punches. And going back to the striking, I can see Walt Harris is cracking him, getting him out of there, and dusting him. With Olenek, you're definitely looking for the submission. You're looking for him to hurt Walt Harris, or he's able to get Walt Harris to the ground and implement his ground game, submit him. And from the 12 losses that Olenek has, six of them have come by finish. So Walt Harris is a strong possibility to get a finish as well. Fight prediction-wise, I see Walt Harris going in there 
and starching Olenek. I think Olenek, he's a respectable heavyweight. This is a dangerous matchup. This isn't a walk in the park per se for Walt Harris, but I think Walt Harris knows that, and he's going to get the job done. And DraftKings-wise, at 8700 super, super, super considerable price. I was thinking Walt Harris is going to be one of the $9,000 fighters, but I guess he's not based on the, the 8700 that the DraftKings has given us. And with Olenek at 7500 middle-of-the-road $7,000 fighter, if you believe that he's able to get Walt Harris down or he's able to hurt Walt Harris with those loopy, crazy punches and able to get on top of Walt Harris or on the bottom, per se, with this Ezekiel choke and submit him, then go ahead, plug him in. That's a good, you know, boomer bust kind of play in that regard. But Olenek has to get a submission in order to win this fight. I don't see him winning this fight on the scorecard. I don't see him out striking Walt Harris or doing anything to Walt Harris to demand a decision. He has to finish him or he gets finished. And I don't necessarily see Olenek winning the scorecards either unless Walt Harris decides to take the day off. In the next bout, we have Greg, domestic violence, Hardy at the DraftKings price of 8100 versus Juan Adams at the DraftKings price of 8100 And looking at the odds, this fight was pretty close to a pick em, And this is the first time, actually, I've seen the 8100-8100 price comparison like this. But going into the breakdown, you have Greg Hardy. Everyone knows this story. This guy played for the Carolina Panthers. He played for the Dallas Cowboys. He beat up his woman that he was with at the time. People don't like him, but controversy sells. That's the reason why he's with the UFC. You know, he's a violent dude per se. I mean, I, I never met the guy. I mean, he's probably nice, but I mean, you, I'm, I'm not condoning his behavior. What I'm saying is this. When it comes to the fights, Greg Hardy is... It's the freak show. It's the controversy. And he has KO power, believe it or not. But looking at the competition that he's been knocking out, these guys are 37, 47, 57. These guys are just over the hill. These guys are either scared to fight Greg Hardy when they go in there or they had a dream of taking an MMA bout and they happen to be lined up with the wrong dude that ended up killing that dream but greg hardy looking at his skills he's just he's just athletic he has power yes for sure but he's not how can i describe it he's not a francis Ngannou per se Ngannou he has that power but Ngannou knows how to put it on you like his punches are accurate like he knows what he's doing because he's just been in the game for such a long time and with greg hardy yes he's training with uh american top team and such but fight after fight after fight you could just see how green this guy is in his last fight he fought some russian jobber and this guy literally from the word go just covered up and said hey greg hardy come get it you know i'm i'm free ass like come take me out and greg hardy you know he did what you know he he did he took him out and in his uh other fights in the dana white contender series and his amateur fights as well is the same story guys come in there they end up swinging wildly and such because they're so fearful of Greg Hardy and they think that he possesses the touch of death. And yes, he does have power. Yes, he's fast, especially in the initial bell. But these guys just don't have any fight. But where the chink in the armor I saw on the tape was when Greg Hardy fought Alan Crowder, which, you know, was his first loss due to that disqualification of the illegal knee. And in that bout, 
Greg Hardy was getting taken down by the smaller Allen Crowder. And Crowder, he's not a big heavyweight, man. He's around like 240, 230. Like, you look at this guy's frame, he can cut down the light heavyweight, but he decides to stay at heavyweight because he likes to eat. But anywho, Greg Hardy is getting taken down. Greg Hardy's punches are getting slipped by Crowder. And not only is Crowder slipping the punches, but he's slipping the punches and he's engaging in takedowns, taking Greg Hardy down, getting him in the side control while Greg Hardy's on the bottom, making him work to get up, making him work to get a kill shot on him. And in the second round, Greg Hardy is starting to slow down tremendously. Like, it's super visible. And people say, oh, that legal knee happened and such because... He was, uh, you know, didn't know the rules, blah, blah, blah. But Greg Hardy was frustrated, man. Like, this guy, he was front-running so hard, knocking out all these cats. And then Crowder just exposed him a bit in that fight. And he hit that illegal knee and he lost. And now he's facing Juan Adams, which is his toughest test on paper. And with Juan Adams, same case, coming up in the pro scene, taking out guys in the first round running through him, gets the Dana White Contender Series fights, takes out his respective opponent in the Dana White Contender Series in the first round, then goes against Chris De La Rocha, which was a three-round... It's a pretty It was a pretty grueling fight for Wanams, especially being a heavy, young heavyweight contender who's ran through opponents first round, first round, first round, and then you go into your debut fight in the UFC and you go three grueling rounds, ends up TKOing Chris De La Rocha, but during that bout, he was hit. He was able to use his wrestling, which is his definite strong suit, especially whenever he's able to get the opponent down and rain ground and pound as well. His top control and his top pressure, really, really, really good. And Chris De La Rocha just pushed him in regards to Chris De La Rocha not giving up, Chris De La Rocha not saying, I quit or I'm going to die in the first round. Like, he just went all the way to the third till he couldn't take any more. And then Juan went against, uh, forgot the Canadian wrestler's name, but he lost that fight by split decision. Personally, I thought Juan won, but that's neither here nor there. But this fight, this fight, both guys have respective weaknesses. And Greg Hardy's is greenness, and also it's when a legitimate heavyweight contender takes advantage of his greatness whether wrestling him or pushing him to you know or making him pay for his wild swings and with Juan his big weakness really is his stand-up his striking let alone his movement for a heavyweight isn't as quick compared to Greg Hardy's and this is just pure athleticism and at the same time too with uh Juan Adams you could see his hands drop a bit his hand his head is straight up so a lot of these previous heavyweight fights that he's had in the UFC, he's been getting tagged. He's eats the shots like they're Twinkies, but he's been getting tagged, man. He's been getting touched. And this fight literally comes down to one or two things. If Greg Hardy is able to go in and take advantage of Juan Adams' bad stand-up from the get-go and defend his takedowns and use his speed advantage, athletic speed advantage, to put hands on Juan Adams... He could take Juan Adams out. But now, if Juan Adams wrestles Greg Hardy, grounds and pounds him, transitions, pressures him, just wears on him the first round, and then decides to strike with him round two and three, Juan Adams will win. Reason being is that first round with that grind and that gritty pace that Juan puts on Greg Hardy from a wrestling perspective, 
can wear Greg Hardy out. And so going into the fight prediction, I'm leaning on Juan Adams being able to take down Greg Hardy and implement said game plan. Juan Adams, even though he lost to the Canadian wrestler, this is this is a this this is a tough matchup for Greg Hardy. On top of that, I mean, this is just a theory of mine, no conspiracy theory, but Greg Hardy isn't the co-main event in this bout. So is this the UFC's way of saying, hey, if Greg Hardy is able to handle business? then obviously we'll push him up. But if Juan Adams is able to go in there and run through him, are we done with the Greg Hardy experiment altogether? Who knows? And from a DraftKings standpoint, both fighters are 8,100. So depending on how you see the fight going, Greg Hardy starching Juan Adams or Juan Adams being able to wrestle and grit and you know wear out Greg Hardy, there you go. But I'm leaning on the event that 60 to, I would say 50 to 60% of your respective competitive pools owning or rostering Greg Hardy in their lineups just due to the whole Greg Hardy big knockout threat kind of hype. And a lot of people either not knowing Juan Adams or, you know, being too ignorant to actually do some research on him and see this guy's a legitimate contender. They're probably thinking, hey, this guy's just another heavyweight that they're bringing in. So Greg Hardy's going to run through, but. This is gonna be a this is gonna be a a pretty close fight until someone implements their game plan. So pick wisely. Next we have Daniel Hooker at the DraftKings price of eighty five hundred dollars versus James Vick at the DraftKings price of seventy seven hundred dollars. Daniel Hooker, new to the lightweight division. Well, not new to this fight, but he's about four fights into his lightweight debut and he was handling guys knocked out Ross Pearson uh choked out uh forgot the black some black dude with the with a red mohawk but he beat Duffy recently but choked that guy out knocked out Jim Miller knocked out Gilbert Burns and fought against Edson Barbosa and got bludgeoned I mean this guy got beat billard pillar the post and he was just toughening it out just getting Bam, bam, rock. It was, if you've, if you've seen the fight, if you or you haven't seen the fight, check it out. Really good fight if you like seeing beatdowns. But Daniel Hooker, man, he bit off more than he could chew against Edson Barbosa. And now he's coming back and he's fighting against uh, James Vick. And with Daniel Hooker, Daniel Hooker, he's real good from the kick reins. He has, you know, good leg kicks, good head kicks. He has this step in knee that he does where if you have a tendency to duck your head down or you have a tendency to come forward too recklessly it's a good little like showstopper in regards to cracking you at the right time but my issues that i run into with daniel hooker is his boxing he doesn't really throw a lot of volume on the feet in regards to his hands he'll probably throw like a right straight or he'll probably throw like a little filler jab but nothing that comes together on the hands really and his hand placement he carries his hands quite low and he relies a lot on his foot and head movement. And at times, he also relies on his toughness. He's like, hey, if I can't get out of the way of said strike towards my head, then I'll just eat it because I'm a tough young prospect. Which leads to James Vick. James Vick, primarily a boxer, recently lost to Paul Felder. Before losing to Paul Felder, got absolutely blasted on by the Homer Simpson of MMA, Justin Gaethje. But before that fight was just looking good. Like, he was beating, he beat Joe Duffy. He beat Francis uh, Tronado, Francisco Tronado, who we're going to talk about later. 
and he was just on a roll before this two-fight losing stint. And with James Vick primarily being a boxer, he definitely is the taller guy in this fight. But, oh, I'm sorry. No, he should be the taller guy. That's a that's a typo on my end. James Vick is 6'3". Daniel Hooker's not 6'3". He's 6 foot. My B. But anywho, um, James Vick, primarily being a boxer, he likes to use body kicks and leg kicks and teep kicks of the body as a measurement to set up his hands. And whenever he does throw his said boxing combinations, it's a lot of jabs, it's a lot of straights. And when I say a lot, it's a good amount if he's going forward. If you're pushing James Vick back, that's when he is absolutely DraftKings cancer. He does not throw anything, he just moves. He engages in the clinch, but he doesn't get any takedowns out of the clinch. He just does it to kill time and to frustrate you if you roster him and even though it was good to see him come back from that vicious knockout by Justin Gaethje and fight Paul Felder, he just he didn't look the same. But now we have two damaged, tall fighters going up against one another in this bout. And it's like the Greg Hardy fight in regards to if this fight goes like this or this fight goes like that. And with this bout, if Daniel Hooker is able to keep this bout in kicking range... If he's able to implement his kicks to set up his hands, to set up his other strikes, he should be able to nullify not only James Vick's height, because this is going to be the biggest opponent that Daniel Hooker has faced in his career. But not only will he be able to nullify James Vick's height, but he'll be able to nullify his boxing and also get James Vick to back up. And like I mentioned earlier, if James Vick is backing up, James Vick is doing nothing, man. He's nada. It's frustrating. Super duper frustrating. But... If James Vick is able to force this fight into boxing range, and not only boxing range, this pop one-twos, this throw more volume than he has in his previous fights, then he'll be able to expose Daniel Hooker's low hands and relying on his head and foot movement because we can't, and there's no Mayweather of MMA per se. Like, anyone can catch a punch in this in his bout. And with Daniel Hooker, especially against Ensign Barbosa, Ensign Barbosa was boxing him up and... Also mixing in kick, but mostly devastating Daniel Hooker from the boxing range. And James Vick is able to find that dog, get in there, and handle damn Hooker in the boxing range, then he will be able to win a decision. But going into the fight prediction, I say James Vick wins this bout just because he recently came back from his belugging, uh defeating loss to Justin Gaethje and now he lost to Paul Felder, yes, but he's able to, okay, I'm in Texas. He's also undefeated in Texas. Take that for what it's worth. I don't really take too much stock into that, but, I mean, it is what it is, right? And Daniel Hooker, this is his first fight back from that ass whooping he took from Justin Gaethje. And so I think James Vick wins this bout by, I would say, I'll say decision, but I'm I'm pretty hesitant because this bout can go either way. And DraftKings-wise... 8500 for Daniel Hooker, 7700 for James Vick. I'm fade I'm I'm absolutely fading this fight. This is primarily going to be a stand-up fight with one with these two guys basically trying to measure one another out. And if Daniel Hooker is able to get aggressive on Vick and knock him out and take advantage of his bad chin, then I mean, kudos to you, but I am not willing to pay 8500 to see how Daniel Hooker looks after his tenacious fight with Edson Barbosa and with James Vick at 7,700. 
same boat, man. Like, yeah, I get it. You fought Paul Felder. You lost that bout, but you were able to score 30 points in a losing effort, and maybe you may get the win in Texas. This paid 200 bucks more and get RDA in a five-round fight where I don't see him getting finished in that fight. But anyway, you, you know my RDA pre, uh, picture in that regard. I'm absolutely fading this fight on DraftKings. But if you feel one way about Dan Hooker or one way about James Vick and, you know, combine my analysis with that, do what you got to do. In the next bout, we have the hometown guy, Alexander Hernandez, at the DraftKings price of 8900 versus Francisco Tronado at the DraftKings price of 7300 And with Alexander Hernandez, yes, hometown guy, fighting in San Antonio, and just recently lost to Donald Cerrone. Before losing to Donald Cerrone, knocked out Belil Del Rouge in his coming out debut and was able to work uh, OAM, uh, a Canadian fighter from TriStar, respectable fighter, and uh, Olivier Mercier, sorry about that. Uh, and he was able to go in there and, and beat him too. And Alexander Hernandez, man, like he's a young prospect and I get people are excited about him and such, but looking at his skill set he primarily wrestles and whenever he wrestles he can't really hit shots from the open he has to like wrestle into the opponent get him up against the cage and then work his takedowns from there but a lot of the takedowns he works from the cage are really forced they're not chained takedowns he doesn't get you into the cage shoot a double i mean work a double and if you're blocking that said double chain it to a single leg and then chain it to this like khabibish style it's a lot of I'm young, I'm strong, my cardio feels good, and I'm just going to try to push you and take you down. And in regards to his striking, he blasted Benil Del Rouge, but that was just more of, that was that striking wasn't really phenomenal. He just threw a good one-two, cracked Del Rouge. Del Rouge is super chinny and was able to take him out against uh, Olivier Mercier. He striked a bit there, but then you could see a bit of the flaws in that fight as well. And against Donald Cerrone, Donald Cerrone took advantage of this kid's flaws in regards to defeat. And what are those said flaws? Those said flaws are he just comes straight, 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 straight. There's no really angles. There's no finesse. There's no patience on the feet. It's really I'm coming at you. I'm strong. I have great cardio and I'm going to put it on you and you're going to break. And if you're going against these much older guys or these much wiser veterans in the UFC, they're going to see that stuff and they're going to expose you. In the case of Cerrone, Cerrone was moving way slower than Alexander Hernandez. But every time Hernandez came straight in, he popped him with a knee. He came straight in, popped him with a knee. When Hernandez started to slow down, which is another negative thing I saw about Hernandez, he was able, Cerrone was able to hit him with a 1-2, one, 1-2. Two, one, two. And... Another thing with Hernandez, too, is his movement is very literal. He's either coming straight at you, straight back. He's either moving left. He's either moving right. And then going back to that Cerrone fight, Cerrone was able to crack him with a head kick, knock him down, TKO him. But now he's taking some time off from that fight. He's uh, coming into his hometown. He's a young guy. And the thing about these young guys in the UFC, they get better and better and better each bout. So... How much did he learn from that loss, and what can he apply against his opponent, Francisco Tronado? Francisco Tronado, he's an old, he's an old Batman, forty years old. He's been in the game for a good minute. The guys he's lost to have been legit competition, like Michael Chiesa, James Vick, 
I mean, the who's who in the lightweight division. Like, this guy is, he's a vet, man. And not only that, this guy's takedown defense is solid. Like, you come in on him, like, you have to have, like, a sneaky, sneaky shot to get underneath Tornado and get him down. And most of the time, if you're able to get Tornado down, he'll just pop right back up. And whenever he throws his shots, his, his, his striking isn't technical either, but he throws heaters, man. Like, they're really explosive. Explosive overhand right, explosive kicks, explosive knees. He not he TKO'd Evan Dunham in his last fight with a very explosive knee. He was able to hurt um, James Vick whenever he fought his, his respective fight. Kevin Lee, he even hurt Kevin Lee in his bout. And the thing about this fight is if you're a strong believer in Alexander Hernandez, you have to ask yourself, will he come in with a cerebral enough game plan in order to expose Francisco Tornado's holes or to make Francisco Tornado look 40 years old. And at the DraftKings price of 8900 let's get into the fight prediction before jumping into that. Fight prediction-wise, I see, I see Alexander Hernandez winning this bout by split decision. Hometown, home cooking decision. I'll see him getting it just simply off the activity. He's not really going to quit. Francisco Tornado, he doesn't have that, that striking accuracy like Donald Cerrone in order to expose that lineal, that linear and that horizontal movement of uh, Alexander Hernandez. But this fight will definitely be super competitive. I don't see Alexander Hernandez just going out there and belligerently Francisco Tornado and I see Francisco Tornado having his moments in the bout and DraftKing wise at the draft at the DraftKing price of 8900 for Alexander Hernandez I'm definitely fading him I don't want to pay that much money to see if he's able to score have a hundred point performance against uh, Tornado Tornado is going to be stuffing a lot of his shots on the feet I think it's going to be pretty even just because I just, I haven't seen that technical finesse from Hernandez and with Tornado at 7300 yes that's a very cheap price definitely rosterable but there's some other $7,000 fighters we're going to talk about later on this episode who have really good matchups compared to this. this is a super competitive matchup if you believe in the hometown kid and you want to pay near $9,000 go ahead roster him up I won't do it Francisco Tornado like his price at 7300 but this matchup is going to be super competitive. You're going against the hometown guy. If the match is, ends up being close, then I can just see him giving Hernandez the nod. And I need bang for the buck if you're going to put any kind of underdog on your respective DraftKings lineup so you can make that money. Next, we have Ben Rothwell at the DraftKings price of 9000 Versus Andre Arlovski at the DraftKings price of 7200 This battle is actually a rematch. These two guys fought back in affliction. So you know Usada wasn't there. They were putting all kinds of needles up their ass. They had all the PEDs. They, they, they felt good when they fought one another. But if you were Ben Rothwell that night, you didn't feel so good. Because Andre Arlovski ended up TKOing Ben Rothwell. I believe in the third round or so. But now, several years later, Andre Arlovski, a little gray in the beard. Not looking like the fighter he was back in the day. Ben Rothwell coming off of USADA suspension. Not in this particular fight, but in his last fight. Didn't really look too washed up from most guys who come back from USADA suspension. And his fight against uh, 
forgot the guy's name. I know he trains at AKA, but um, he uh, that fight, Ben Rothwell, I thought he won, but he ended up losing by split decision. But going into Ben Rothwell, man, this guy, personally, I'm a fan of this guy. I like this whole, like, evil laugh, crazy dance shtick, all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, coming off a loss, especially off of Usada's suspension, this guy's looking for a win. But looking at his style, his he has this kind of herky-jerky, weird kind of move-forward style, which whenever he does that little herky-jerky thing, he just throws punches from wild, crazy angles, which throws off most of his opponents. And on top of that, if you try to shoot on this guy... He has really, really, really good submissions. He was able to submit Josh Barnett, Matt Metrione, especially with submitting Josh Barnett, going back to that. Josh Barnett, that's a high-level jiu-jitsu player. And Ben Roffle being able to hit a choke on him, super uh, impressive. But the thing about Ben Roffle is whenever uh, I don't, from a DraftKings perspective, his striking volume isn't anything super desirable, let alone his punching power. He's not a Mark Hunt or a Francis Ngannou in regards to being able to blast you. On top of that, Ben Rothwell doesn't necessarily go for takedowns. He'll just press you up, put punches on you. If you happen to come in stupid, he'll be able to tie up a go-go choke on you and get his submissions from there. But for the most part, he's just looking to beat you up. And if you decide to break and TKO, cool. If not, I'll just take the decision. But Andre Olaski, even though he's been losing fights, if you look at that record of 27 and 18, Andre Olaski's been staying around in fights. Like, he's been fighting young prospects, but he hasn't been getting finished. The thing about I noticed about Olaski is he doesn't employ a lot of his offensive tools, and I believe that's because he doesn't really want to open himself up and get TKO'd and such. But a lot of times in these fights, he's in them, man. Like, he fought a young prospect his last fight, and he lost that fight by split decision. But for the most part, Oloski, at this point of his career, he's fighting not to lose, based on what I see on the tape. He will put punches here and there, but a lot of times he'll just pot shot, throw one punch here, two punch there, very low output. And... This isn't really a sexy matchup, DraftKings-wise. Fight prediction, I see Ben Rothwell winning this fight by decision just simply due to forward pressure, volume, Andre Olaski's inability to really open up and try anything offensive to uh, take advantage of Ben Rothwell's herky-jerky style. Because with Ben Rothwell's herky-jerky style, he's really open to straight punches, which Andre Olaski... He possesses that in spades. But with that herky-jerky style, if you're throwing a straight jab or, or a straight right hand and you don't bring those punches back, them hands are coming over the top and they're cracking you. And Arlovsky's chin is still questionable. Don't miss, don't misunderstand me. His, quint is, his chin is still questionable, which makes sense why he's been fighting the way he's been fighting. But from a DraftKings perspective, fading this fight. Ben Rothwell, $9,000 forget about it it's he has to finish Arlovsky and Arlovsky has he's shown durability against much younger hungrier bloodthirsty heavyweight contenders and with Arlovsky at 7200 yeah he's a nice cheap play but I don't necessarily like his matchup let alone I just don't like his output whenever Arlovsky loses on a good day if he were to lose and you wanted to salvage points he'll probably get you 30 points but 
on the typical day, especially in a matchup like this, I could see him losing and scoring you 18 points, 19 points. Keep in mind, a significant strike landed is only half a point. Arlovsky isn't mixing in takedowns. He isn't doing anything else that's going to give you bang for the buck at 7,200. So Ben Rothwell at $9,000. Fade him. There's better options at the $9,000 price and the $8,000 price. Arlovsky at 7,200. If you really believe he has Ben Rothwell's number, he's able to open up from his I don't want to lose shell and go for the kill. Roster him. That's a good price. But fading this fight, fading both guys. and But I have Ben Rothwell winning this by decision. In the next bout, we have Alex Caceres, a.k.a. Bruce Leroy, at the DraftKings price of 8800 versus Steven Peterson at the DraftKings price of 7400 Looking at Alex Caceres at the DraftKings price of 8800 this price is an absolute joke. If you don't care about winning money, if you don't want to make that money, if you want to spectate Alex Caceres, but your pockets won't be accumulating them because your pockets won't be accumulating because you put him in your lineup, this this roster, this guy, man, like I get it. Looking at his good things, he's, he has good movement, good in and out movement. But another thing you notice too is his little in and out movement and such. It's it's a pretty predictable pattern. He does the same kind of movement with the same kind of punches, which is typically a short left uppercut with the overhand right or straight, and then he bounces back out. On top of that, look at his record, man. And what is what does that record say of 14 wins and 12 losses? The guys that he's beaten are guys who are typically stationary and non-committal. What do I mean by that? If they're just standing back and waiting for him to come in, and whenever they try to engage, they don't really commit to the strikes, Alex Caceres will just pick you apart all day. But when I mean pick you apart, I mean pick you apart. He wins a decision, and on DraftKings, he scores you 60 points. And you're going to spend 8800 bucks on that? You better not. I'm telling you right now, as your host, Uber Mike, I'm here to I'm here to help you make that money. Don't mess with this guy, man. I don't, I don't, Bruce Leroy, he ain't the way, man. He ain't the way. On top of that, Bruce Leroy has huge weakness to really grimy, really pressure fighters and fighters who are really good on the ground in regards to takedowns or jiu-jitsu because if he gets taken down and you take Alex Caceres' back, he's like, here's my neck, choke me out, get me out of here so I can collect my UFC check. And looking at his, his opponent, Steven Peterson, at the DraftKings price of 7400 Steven Peterson lost his previous fight to Luis Pena, but he won his previous fight before that and lost his two other... Stephen Peterson, he, he's a real grimy, real... He's a real damaged fighter, man. Like, he walks forward. He takes the blows. But this guy, what I like about him, not only with his DraftKings price, I like his pace. He shoots takedowns on you. He tries to grind you up against the cage. This guy doesn't stop, man. This guy doesn't stop. And with Steven Peterson not wanting to stop, and then you have Bruce Leroy who just who's trying to get a, a B-roll listing or something like that. I don't, I don't know what this guy's MO is in the UFC. I mean, Steven Peterson will give you bang for the buck. Fight prediction-wise, I see Steven Peterson winning this fight bout by submission. I see him eating shots from Alex Caceres in the beginning, but I don't see Alex Caceres having enough power to put Steven Peterson away. But Steven Peterson will have enough pressure, enough takedown attempts, enough 
transitions on the ground and just wear and tear on Caceres that it will just open him up and he'll get submitted. In DraftKings Rise, I mean, you heard it here first, and I'll say it again. I'll, I'll say it all day. Fade Alex Caceres. If you put him at your lineup at 8,800, I'll slap you. Don't put him in your lineup, man. This guy... This guy sucks, man. And I get it. He's a UFC fighter. He doesn't suck. Blah, blah. I don't care. Don't do it. Leave him alone. Steven Peterson at 7400 That is a value play. Drop $200 more. Don't roster Andre Alaski, my opinion. Get Steven Peterson. He's going to go for He's going to do what he needs to do. Looking at his draft king points and his losing efforts, he gets a base of 40 points and a losing effort. In his winning effort, he got 88 or 90 points, somewhere around there. I'm going off the cuff here, so I don't got all this information in front of me. But this guy, I mean, he's going to give you bang for the buck. Even if he loses, he's going to give you 40 points or four, mid-40 points. But I see him handling Caceres. I see him finishing, obviously, with the submission and 7,400. Put that underdog in your lineup. Let me hear you holla. <laughs> Next, we have Irina Aldana at the DraftKings price of 8400 versus Raquel Pennington at the DraftKings price of 7800 Irina Aldana, she comes from the same uh, Mexico training camp as Alexa Grasso, I believe her name. Alexa Grasso fought at UFC 238. She boxed up uh, Val... Val no, 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 not Valentina Shevchenko. What's her name? Um, I forgot. Well, she fought at UFC 238. Just, just look it up. This Alexa Grasso got hands. And Irina Aldana, she's part of that that hand sisterhood. These girls box. That's just what they do. And with Irina Aldana, has a nice one-two. Whenever she's moving around in the cage, good lateral movement. What I really liked from the tape is she doesn't just back straight up against the cage and get stuck in the mud. Like, she rotates around the cage. Really good footwork. Really good one-twos. And whenever opponents try to engage takedowns on Aldana, Aldana has nasty frames. What I mean by frames, like, see these see these frames right here? Instead of just coming in and letting, you know, the opponent control her and take her down and throw her, she'll put these she put these mofos in, the, in their neck and in their face and grind them up and then fight to get out said takedown, fight to get out of the Clint situation, fight to get off the ground, man. Like, Irina Aldana, I like her a lot. But if you want to look at weaknesses for Irina Aldana, look no further than the Leslie Smith fight. Leslie Smith came forward on Irina Aldana and brought out a dog. Like, you got you to gotta get nasty. You got to have nasty pressure. Don't give a damn about her boxing and just throw big bomb killer shots that Irina Aldana a lot of times ends up circling into, especially overhand rights and such. Irina tends to drop her hands a bit, so the hands come over the top, boom, boom. She got dropped in that fight, and she fought another girl before she fought Beth Cohera. Forgot the girl's name, but she had that really nasty pressure. Just don't care if I get hit by this girl's jabs or straights. I'm coming, and I'm coming to, to bring pain to this girl. Those kind of raw dog fighters are the fighters that give Irina a lot of issues. But Raquel Pennington, is she that fighter? I mean... Raquel was on a roll. She was dating Tisha Torres. Tisha Torres broke up with Tisha. Come on. Get, get back with my girl, Raquel Pennington. She misses you. What's wrong with you? This ain't, this ain't, I, no, no. Got to get back. Got to break it down. But Raquel Pennington, man, she was on a roll. She was beating girls here and there. And then she met she met the quote 
Amanda Nunes. Amanda Nunes put that beat down on Raquel. And Raquel just wasn't the same girl after that. Next bout, she gets Duran Duranami. And Duranami, she didn't finish Raquel Pennington like Nunes did, but she was able to keep Raquel Pennington at range, was able to stuff Raquel Pennington's clinch takedowns and such, and put the hands together. And Raquel, I mean, ever since losing to Duranami back in November, she's taken eight-month hiatus and she's fighting now so there's several questions man like how is she gonna look and not only how she's gonna look but she be able to bring that dog out to you know put that person on a dyna we gotta go into the fight prediction with that and in my fight prediction i don't think so man i think aldana comes out here and gets a unanimous decision man i think aldana she just moves laterally which will be give raquel pennington a lot of issues another thing too from the duranami fight that i saw with pennington is a lot of times like she just stands straight up like she just back straight up she doesn't really slip shots or anything and i see Adlana just her one twos her boxing man her boxing is going to give pennington issues and if pennington tries to come in and get takedowns and such i mean yeah there's going to be clinch situations against Adlana, and maybe pennington will get a takedown or two but I just don't see Pennington being that dog she was before she fought Nunes. And going into the DraftKings pricing, Aldana at 8400 that's super generous. And her last bout against Beth Cohera, she was at the 9000s. I played her, but, I mean, that was a scary bout because Aldana was tripping, man. Sometimes she trips a little bit, but the thing about her, she racks up those significant strikes. Like, she gets close to, she gets, I think she averages about 70 significant strikes or so. But, I mean, she gets about 70, 100 significant strikes. On top of that, you know, is able to get on top of Pennington because at times she's able to reverse positions or happens to get a catch a kick, get a takedown. I mean, you're looking at maybe a high 60-point, low 70 DraftKings, you know, point uh, performance for Madonna, which that's not bad, man. Uh, low ownership, too. I mean... There's a lot of people on this card that are going to be high-owned, like Greg Hardy, for example. And I don't see Aldana being one of those super high-owned individuals. And Raquel Pennington at the DraftKings price at 7800 I mean, the question is, can Raquel bring out that dog like Leslie Smith or the one chick Aldana fought uh, before she fought Beth Cohera? I, I don't think so, man. Even whenever I went back on the film and watched Raquel Pennington's fight against misha tate and all her other wins she didn't really have that nasty i'm gonna throw hands and beat the beat the s out of you kind of kind of dog in her and at the draft king price of 7800 too expensive i'm fading her man if she does bring out that dog and makes me eat my words i'll eat them up i'll put some hot sauce on my words and eat them up but at 7800 i ain't trying to find out man pay 100 more bucks take rda or take you know somebody else that's I, I'm fading Raquel, Irene Aldana, definitely rosterable. I wouldn't put her everywhere because there's some other $8,000 fighters we're going to talk about later who can get do what it do. But, uh, yeah, that's the breakdown in regards to this women's MMA bout. In the next bout, we have Clidson Abrua. I probably said that wrong. Clidson Abrua at the DraftKings price of 8600 versus Sam Smiley Alvey at the DraftKings price of 7600 so with Clidson, Clidson, he's fought in the UFC one time. He lost that respective fight. So I had to go back and watch some regional tape on this guy to see what his story's all about. And 
this guy basically he's primarily a ground fighter he wants to get the fight to the ground he wants to employ his jiu-jitsu he wants to put his weight on you he wants to submit you or pound you out or so i mean that is primarily his game whenever he's on the feet a lot of times his striking repertoire consists of his back leg kick i think he's orthodox so it's his right head kick or so i don't know but it primarily consists of orthodox uh it primarily consists of just really conservative, like, kicks just to kind of measure things out. But when this guy punches, man, belligerent punching. This is like Olenek's Brazilian cousin, like, puts his head down, does one of these, doesn't really know where he's going, and he's going in a straight line. Like, typically, they say there's a method to the madness, but I don't think there's no method to this madness, man, and... Whenever he typically does that, he he tries to get into a clinch situation or shoot off of that and then get a takedown. But his takedowns aren't very good either. It's just bad technique in regards to he'll drop his knee down. He'll grab your legs and drop his knees down and then try to push versus a good takedown is, you know, you're you have a good, you know, you have a good forward lean, you know, good athletic position and you got your legs and your butt and your abs and everything that's pushing grabbing, pulling, doing what you got to do to get the takedown. But, yeah, Clinton's game is he wants to take you down. He wants to get into the mount or take your back, and then that's where a lot of his submission attacks are, and that's where he wants to take the fight. And looking at his opponent, Sam Alvey, Sam Alvey, he's been fighting at the light heavyweight division for a good while now. He originally started at the middleweight division, so, coming into this bout, he definitely is the smaller guy. Not height-wise, but stature-wise. But Alvy, Alvy is like watching cement dry. His style is, it's terrible. It looks like he has two torn ACLs when he's out there moving. And the X factor he has is he has power, but the way he throws his shots, they're not like super smooth counter shots. He waits for you to come in. And then he'll just load up and throw everything into his shots, hoping that he sleeps you. If you are just backing away and waiting for him or you're trying to be patient, he won't really chase after you. He'll just look at you, throw a really terrible kick, and just look at one. It's it's not pretty to look at. That's why you come to the YouTube channel. I'll just give you the breakdown so you don't have to go through this torturous tape, let me tell you. But going into this bout fight prediction wise i see abrua winning this bout by decision and the reason i see him winning by decision is sam alvey he fought a guy named Ivory or so in the middleweight division and Ivory shot takedowns at sam alvey and sam alvey if you try to do like upper body throws on him he has respectable defense and but Ivory was able to get double legs on sam alvey and take him down and sam alvey just didn't lay there and accept it he tried to get up with his 80-year-old body, but a middleweight being able to push you up against the fence and take you down, and now you're going against a light heavyweight, a natural light heavyweight. He's not a middleweight whatsoever. Much bigger guy. I mean, you just do the math there. But the one thing that gives me a bit of worry with uh, Klitson Abrua is his striking. If he's coming in there smart, if he's throwing kicks from the distance, and he's smartly engaging in the takedowns, he should be able to take this fight uh, pretty easily. But if he does his 
ugly hand strike where he literally puts his hand down and is doing one of these, Alvi could counter him. I mean, Alvi's inaccurate as hell with his strikes, but if you're not know if you don't know where the hell you're you're striking at, Alvi can crack you, and then all of a sudden you're looking up, and then you 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 got this you got this run of the mill UFC fighter TKO on you. I mean, Alvi can finish people, but if you fight smart, that chance of, of him finishing you is like five percent, super small. But DraftKings wise, with a brewer a brewer at eighty six hundred, definitely rosterable. I mean. Dan Hooker, I don't really like his matchup at 8,500, but add 100 extra bucks and get a Brewer, I could play him and then get some takedowns and Sam Alvey get back up, get some takedowns. You get the gist of what I'm saying. Rack up points like that, get a lot of groundwork in, get a nice decision against Alvey. Don't do anything too stupid. But with Sam Alvey at 7,600, fade him, man. If you roster Sam Alvey or you believe in him, he is KO or bust. He won't salvage points. Because he doesn't go for takedowns. He literally strikes. And when he strikes, he looks like he looks super geriatric, man. Like he looks like he literally tore both of his ACLs the way he moves and the way he hurts. It's ugly, man. So KO or bust. You're hoping that Brewer comes in really dumb. And Alvi's able to put the hands on him, drop him, take him out, get him out of them. Alvi, I will be surprised if he's over 5% owned in your respective DraftKings pools. If he's over 5% owned, please send me pictures so we can laugh about it later on. Um, but that's the breakdown in regards to that. If you put Alvi in your lineup, I'm praying for you. Next, we have Jennifer Maya at the DraftKings price of 8200 versus Roxanne Modafferi at the DraftKings price of 8000 And... Like the Ben Rothwell Narlowski fight, this is also a rematch as well. These two girls fought back in Invicta. I don't know who the champion was because when going through this tape, we just gotta, I gotta see what's going on. You know what I mean? I gotta see what these girls are about. But long story short, five round bout. And in that said initial match that these two had against each other, Roxanne Modafferi was winning the first three rounds or. Was the first three, first two rounds. She was dominating the beginning portions of the fight. Was able to get takedowns and Jennifer Maya was able to push up against the cage. Things like that. And then later on, Jennifer Maya was able to put hands on Roxanne Mataferi. And Roxanne wasn't able to execute any of her respective takedowns. And Jennifer Maya wins the bout by split decision. Personally, I thought Mataferi won. But anyway, it doesn't really matter because the past is the past. And this is the future rematch coming right up. With Jennifer Maya... She fought Liz Carmouche in her initial UFC debut and lost that respective fight. And in her next bout, she fought, I believe it was uh, Ashley. She fought um, all these all these women MMA fights. They fought they, all the OG ones. They kind of sound the same. They're not like the top-notch cats. But anyway, long story short, she ended up winning that respective fight. And the thing about Jennifer Maya, I mean, she's primarily a striker. What she does a lot is she has like this little little side to side kind of movement and if you do come in with a single shot or if you're just standing there she'll come in with a one two or overhand left boom a lot of times in her striking sequences it consists of two or three punches but none of these strikes are, are devastating or anything they're just good in regards to the judge's eyes of seeing her move forward put the punches together and things of that sort but when looking at weaknesses for Jan jennifer maya it's definitely her takedown defense, and not only her takedown defense, but her ability to stand up. 
online. Uh, she's listed as a black belt. I'm not sure who's handing out these black belts, like they're Happy Meals, but that black belt ability isn't shown on the ground. She's just laying there chilling. She'll try to get up, but if you're putting some umph on her from the top saying like, hey, girl, you ain't getting up, she'll be like, okay, I'll chill down here. You know what I mean? But uh, for the most part, primarily a striker. Her takedown defense is... It's questionable. I wouldn't say it's super weak, but it's definitely questionable. And if you're able to, like, to push her up against the cage, let alone chain the takedowns, you'd be able to take her down. And with Roxanne Mataferi, she's an OG in the women's MMA fighting game. Her nickname, super cool. Happy Warrior. Look at her. She's smiling, and she's definitely smiling because she's been a DraftKings darling recently. She fought uh, Valentina Shevchenko's sister in the last event and upset at her, man. Like, Roxanne Mataferi... When she was in Evicta and when she was going through the Ultimate Fighter, uh, she she did she looked kind of run the mill, kind of like okay, you're an OG fighter, but we'll give young girls you so they can beat you and then they can build a name off you basically. But Roxanne Modafferi, I heard she switched camps up, she switched strength and the conditioning coaches up, and she's just looked different. Now, don't get me wrong, like, she still looks a little bit herky-jerky. Her striking isn't, like, amazing. She's, it's not like a Amanda Nunes striking or anything like that, but you could tell she's made the necessary changes in her game in order to emphasize her strengths and shore down her weaknesses. In regards to her striking, whenever she initially fought Jennifer Maya, her striking was just wide open, super easy to hit. And what I notice with her striking now is she does this thing where she covers up on her left side whenever incoming punches are coming back. And whenever she covers up like that, she's able to close the distance and work her bread and butter, which is her takedowns. And with her takedowns now, especially when you see her push girls up against the cage, especially against uh, her last opponent, Valentina's sister, she looks strong, man. Like she's able to get girls up against the cage. And not only is she getting girls up against the cage, but she is chaining takedowns. She'll go for the single. The single's not there. She'll take your back or she'll go for the double. And whenever she's on top, her top control is solid. Like, the ground game is where she makes things happen. And looking into the fight prediction, I see Roxanne Modafferi taking this rematch. Jennifer Maya, from that last bout, because how I broke this tape down was I looked at their initial match. And then after their initial match, I looked at their respective UFC fights and see who has grown the most. And Jennifer Maya is behind the curve in regards to growing the most. She, her strikes look a little bit quicker, but nothing to the effect that will blow Ferry away. And her takedown defense, like I mentioned, super questionable. But Roxanne Modafferi, like, she's cleaned up the striking defense where she's just not standing there and getting bludgeoning. Because before, if you just put hands on Modafferi, it was really hard for her to engage the takedowns and work her jiu-jitsu, which is, like, her primary thing. But now she's figured out a way, and the team she's working with has got her fighting in a way where she's able to use those respective strengths and I can see her putting it on Maya and, and the takedowns are the X factor man Maya just hasn't done enough and I don't think her takedown defense is going to get miraculously better in one training camp Monteferi taking this fight by decision and if you look at the DraftKings price if you believe in Maya and you want to pay 200 bucks extra at 8200 and roster her go ahead but you got to keep in mind like you're expecting her not only to win the bout but put up a good amount of significant strikes because if she has an average amount of significant strikes and she gets you 50, 60 fan, uh, uh, DraftKings points, 
then it was like, come on, I paid eighty two hundred for you, but with Rocks and Modafferi at eight thousand, Rocks and Modafferi has those takedowns, and takedowns go a long way. Takedowns are five points each, plus the significant strikes you can get on the ground, plus the transitions. I mean, Modafferi, man, she she is the play in my opinion, and you got to go with the OG lady, man, the Happy Warrior, Roxanne. Next, we have Ray Borg with the DraftKings price of 9200 not 8200 9200 versus Gabriel Silva at the DraftKings price of 6800 Man, I messed this slide up, but we okay, man, because I got it all in here. I got you, fam. I got you listening to this. I got you. Don't worry about this slide. We'll break this down real easy. The height and the reach and everything else, though, that's all correct. But going back to it, looking at Ray Borg at the DraftKings price of 9300 Ray Borg is more than one of the more uh, uh, expensive fighters on this respective draft card. But looking at Ray Borg, man, I get it. He's been going through a lot of stuff with Conor McGregor hitting him with the dolly with his uh, son. I think his son's going through some sickness. I mean, Ray Borg's been going through a lot of stuff, man, but all these these fighters are tough, man. You think, you think that's going to stop him from going in there and, and handling business? Heck no, man. I like Ray Borg in this matchup. He lost his last bout. I thought he won that fight. It was a close fight. It wasn't like Ray Borg went out there, steamrolled the dude, and then, I mean, Ray Borg couldn't do anything. Like, Ray Borg was wrestling. Uh, the guy's name's Casey. It was a new UFC incomer. But Ray Borg was able to go in there and, and wrestle, do what he needs to do, but wasn't able to secure that win. And another issue I didn't really bring up with Ray Borg is he missed weight his last fight, and he looked pretty out of shape. Was still able to go in there and work his takedowns and such, but looked out of shape. And there's talks of him saying that, hey, if I don't make weight one more time, then I'm done. I'm retiring. Like, I, I, sh I shouldn't even be in the UFC Luckily, this fight isn't taking place at 125. Ray Borg's natural weight class is taking place at Bantamweight, 135. And the UFC is definitely throwing Ray Borg a bone here with Gabriel Silva with the DraftKings price of 6800 I don't even know I put 8000 But anyway, moving forward. Um, the DraftKings price of 6800 And this is his UFC debut. I believe, from what I read online, he's the brother of Eric Silva. And we know how well his career fared in the UFC but uh, with Gabriel Silva, he had an LFA fight, and he won that respective fight by knockout. Finding tape on this guy was really difficult because uh, it's it's probably in it's probably in uh, the shadow realm somewhere. Like I, I just don't have the access to get to his respective tape. But from what I've seen, just a run of the mill Brazilian fighter, man. Just you know, if he whenever he throws his strikes, they're his strikes are powerful, but if you don't know what head movement is, he'll blast you. But if you at least know how to duck your head down, you'll you'll move, uh, weave a lot of stuff. His takedowns are super basic. Like these are takedowns you see at like an instructional DVD for beginning wrestlers 101 or something like that. And this is uh, this matchup, man. They're just throwing Ray Borg a bone. Ray Borg, make way. Come out here. Implement your game plan against Gabriel Silva. You should be able to win said bout, which leads me to the fight prediction. I see Ray Borg winning this fight by decision. I, unless Ray Borg is just doesn't care and decides to get blasted on, I don't see what Gabriel Silva does that actually puts it on Ray Borg. 
and gets him out of there. Like Ray Borg, he's he's man, he's trying, true and tested. He beat Formiga. He fought Demetrius Johnson. I mean, this guy, like he's he's up there, up there with the respective contenders at 125. And with Gabriel Silva making his debut, you're asking him a lot to beat a former one flyweight title challenger. And with the DraftKings price at 9,300. This is uh, one of the more expensive guys I'm willing to take a stab at because Ray Borg brings takedowns to the table. And Gabriel Silva, I don't see him just laying there and just saying like, okay, I'm taking down, I'll lay down here. I see him trying to get back up, and that's another takedown rag. Ray Borg, whenever he gets his takedown, man, he just he keeps going at it. And I, I like that, man. But the Borg... In your lineups, Gabriel Silva at 6,800. If you're one of those crazy gambler guys who likes to pick, you know, those those Brazilian low-owned guys who happen to score a win or something like that, I mean, go ahead and tickle that pickle, but not me, man. Not me. Next, we have the lock, baby. Where's that lock? I had a chain over here, but this is the lock. This is the lock, man. And let me tell you who's the lock. We have Jin Susan at the DraftKings price of 9100 versus Mario Batista at the DraftKings price of 7100 Man, Jin Susan. It was really hard to find tape on this guy, too. I was only able to find two uh, fights. Obviously, is a fight with Peter Yan, which... Have a lot of which has a lot of people excited about him, frankly, which has a lot of people boosting him because 91. I'll, I'll get into that, but basically, Jin Sushan comes forward, he goes for takedowns, but his takedowns aren't like necessarily like drop the knee wrestling takedowns, it's a lot of like upper body strength kind of takedowns whenever he's on top of said opponent. He's able to get some ground and pound off, but his top control isn't necessarily there. But long story short, this guy just wants to entertain the fans. He doesn't believe in head movement. He doesn't care about his future mental health. He just wants to get blasted in the face. And he tries to counter back with single shots in order to deliver the kill shot, get everyone excited, get the crowd going wild. I mean, this guy from South Korea, Jin Susan, is a crazy man, dude. But you have the lock of the night, Mario Batista training at the MMA lab at 7,100. And Mario Batista, he's only had one fight in the UFC, and it was against Corey Sanhagen. He came in late notice against Sanhagen. And as, I mean, if you're a UFC fan or if you know who Sanhagen is, Sanhagen is a mofo. Like, that guy is, like, one of the next title challengers at Bantamweight. But that's a, that's a later topic or talk. But with Mario Batista, man, I mean, he's he has he's training with the MMA lab. Those guys down there, they're killers, man. Not only are they killers, they they have really good coaching down there. And you have Jin Susan, who yes, I get it, Jin Susan. I mean, he gave Peter Yan a, a really difficult fight, and Peter Yan is a legitimate uh, bantamweight contender as well. But Jin Susan gave Peter Yan issues due to Peter Yan having an understanding of okay Jin Susan is making his debut against me I'm gonna go out there I'm gonna put it on he just he fought the Peter Yan way I'm gonna come out there I'm gonna box you up I'm gonna put it on you but Jin Susan his chin held up and he was just able to not only eat Peter Yan shots but actually get back at him a, a bit you know so people are really excited about that but technically wise I mean 
I mean, Mario Batista definitely has the technical edge. Not only is he the bigger guy, at, I mean, at the height of two inches taller, but on top of that, he just he comes with a myriad amount of ways to win the bout. Jinsu Sun, I can see him trying to walk down Mario Batista and try to like knock him out, sleep him, get the crowd excited. But Mario Batista, I, I, his movement is a lot more better than Sun's. His takedown mixed down with his striking is a lot. His overall MMA game is a lot more better than Jin Susan. And Mario doesn't have to sleep him. Mario can just hit this South Korean punching bag and just just win the bout pretty easily. So if you look at this fight from a fight prediction standpoint, I see Mario Batista winning this bout by unanimous decision, 29-28. It's going to be a competitive bout. I definitely see Jin Susan taking a round. But Jinsu San just standing there, throwing one shot at a time, smiling whenever he eats 10 punches. Like, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to look awesome. But that doesn't win fights on the scorecard. And I bet that's what the MMA lab is tearing, telling Mario Batista. They're like, hey, this is, you know, your full camp fight in the UFC. You wanted to be here. This is the big stage. You're going against this opponent. And this is what we need to do in order to secure the victory. On top of that, with Jin Susan, yeah, you could say that Jin Susan can come in and take down Mario Batista and control him and such, but his takedowns aren't very convincing. There are there are, there are a lot of upper body based takedowns. Like he shoots on you, but he doesn't really drive his legs. He's, he's like he trying to like he kind of forces you down with his upper body strength. And a lot of times it's off of timing. Like if you're coming straight at him or you're off balance, you'll be able to get it. Versus a Khabib kind of style where he just comes into you. Grabs you down, wraps you up, throws you down. You know, I just don't see him doing that. And uh, DraftKings-wise, Jin Susan at 9,100. If you like seeing your fighters on your respective DraftKings pool be punching bags and give you entertaining fights, just throw them in there to be like, yeah, I had them. But I'm definitely fade material. Mario Batista, that's a lock. 7,100. I really like this matchup. I really, really, really like how hittable Jin Susan is. And I think Mario Batista takes it 7,100. I think he's going to be definitely low-owned because I feel like a lot of people are on Susan just because of that Peter Yan fight, which it's, it's a bad habit within the MMA community, but that's a different video. And uh, Mario Batista is lowly-owned. And we'll give your roster a lot of room. Finally, we have the curtain jerker, the opening bout of this UFC San Antonio card. We have Domingo Pilarte at the DraftKings price of 9400 versus Felipe Colaris at the DraftKings price of 6800 And Domingo is, will be making his UFC debut. He fought at the Dana White Contender Series last year beat Vince Morales and hasn't fought since due to injuries, but now he's coming in and he's facing Felipe Colares. And the thing about Domingo and his game, Domingo, he likes to shoot takedowns, man. That's his, that's primarily what it is. Like he can throw hands per se, but his hands aren't good. Like they're fast, but he drops them. He keeps his chin up. He's pretty hittable, but his bread is buttered on the ground. He'll, he'll shoot for takedowns. He'll take you down. He'll try to control you. He'll try to get submissions on you. And even if he's on the bottom, he'll try to shoot submissions as well. And with uh, Felipe Calabas, what can I say, man? You saw me sigh. This this guy's tape wasn't impressive at all. Like, he 
he tries to go for takedowns, which aren't good takedowns. He just wants to get on top of you. He just wants to use his jujitsu. And it's funny because when you look at his regional tape, when he fought at the local scene in Brazil, he was able to implement this game plan on guys, no issues. And he fights this jobber in his UFC debut. And all this jobber did was literally move around, mix strikes with the takedowns, and it overwhelmed Felipe. Like, Felipe, just he just doesn't look good whatsoever. Doesn't look good. And it makes sense with the pricing, but... If we have to just go ahead and get into the fight prediction, I see Domingo Polarte winning this bout by decision. But the only hesitancy I have with Domingo is how is he going to look under the bright lights making his UFC debut? He was supposed to make it in 2018, but like I mentioned, a lot of injuries, a lot of that nonsense that he had to deal with, and now he's coming in and facing a pretty favorable matchup. But... How will he deal with the bright lights? How will he deal with uh, Felipe in regards to Felipe? Felipe's been in there before, so Felipe may be, he may go crazy in the first round, try to get him out there quick. And you I mean, you haven't had enough reps in this regards, but I, I trust Domingo Pilate to be able to bully Felipe with his size. I mean, six foot compared to Felipe's five foot nine, and his 74 inch reach compared to Felipe's 69 inch reach. And I just see him getting a, a pretty easy unanimous decision. But DraftKings-wise, with his DraftKings price at 9400 he is the most expensive fighter on this slate. And 9400 man, it's a bit too rich for my blood. If you have multiple lineups, you want to stick him in one just to see how many points he can get you off a victory, definitely go ahead and roster him. But it's, I don't, it's not really safe to put him on a lineup, I won't really feel good about it just because you can get Ray Borg with a good matchup like this at 100 bucks cheaper or, or get any of those $8,000 guys with good matchups comparable to this. On top of that as well, he's making his UFC debut, so we don't you don't necessarily know how he's going to look in that debut, and you're spending 9400 bucks. I mean, if you played Mike Rodriguez last week, y'all know how y'all felt when y'all spent that money and he BS'd. And I mean, I'm not saying Domingo's going to BS, but 9,400, you need 100 points no matter what. You don't spend 9,400 just to get you 68, 70 points UFC debut. You need Domingo to come out here and destroy Felipe. And with Felipe at 6,800, Felipe is Felipe is a desperate boomer bust. Again, if, if you just want one of those Brazilian low-tier fighters who come in and get the upset and do this or do that, whatever, go ahead and roster him, but you won't feel good about it. This guy's fighting style is it's very lousy. It, it's, it's not good to look at. And if you're trying to make that money, why would you put him on your lineup? But I digress because that leads to the end of the DraftKings session episode number five. I'm your host, Uber Mike. Thank you so much for tuning in to the fifth edition. I'm actually heading to UFC San Antonio this upcoming weekend to check out the fights live. So that's going to be really fun. I plan on filming a vlog and putting it together. I'm not sure when exactly I'm going to be able to get that out because each and every week we have fights coming out and I won't get a break on these DraftKings sessions until I think mid 
August or so. I haven't checked. I don't really want to check because, boom, we pumping these out. And we, I'm here to help y'all make that money, man. This ain't a game. Y'all put y'all lineups together. Y'all wanna, y'all wanna make that thing pop. I'm here for you, man. Uber Mike here, man. Thank you so much. Go ahead, click the referral link. Sign up if you never played DraftKings before. Get those 10 DK dollars. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Tell your friends about it. Tell your mama. Tell your papa. Tell your granny. I don't care, man. Bring them all, man. Let's get it, man. Make that money. Spectate while your pockets accumulate.